I can tell that I'm getting older because when I come to a stoplight and someone drives up beside me and they have their music playing too loud, the bass is thumping, uh, it begins to rattle my windows. And when I was younger, I thought, cool, that bass is rattling my windows. Now as I'm getting older, I go, not cool, that bass is rattling my windows. And I begin to say, why in the world is there a need to listen to your music that loud? Don't you know you're not going to be able to hear it one day? And yet, this has actually become a sport, believe it or not. I mean, many things have become a sport to say. I guess if you can put poker on TV and call it a sport, then anything goes. But public radio program, This American Life, ran a special report on a certain subculture of people whose prized possessions are their car stereos. They are called decibel drag racers. Anybody ever been to a decibel drag race before? Just checking. All right. Decibel drag racers. And people flock across international borders to join them in the competition. Now, like actual drag racing, cars line up across the track, except in this competition, they will not be going anywhere. The winner is the owner of the car stereo that can play the loudest possible decibel. But oddly enough, most of the cars that win this competition are not even drivable. World record holder at the time of this interview had 900 pounds of concrete poured into the floor of his van. I don't know, I guess that helps you with more bass. Windshields usually only make it through three competitions before cracking, and these are not normal windshields. Yet one competitor still seems to entirely miss the irony that there is no longer any room for himself in the car. But he says, we need more batteries. But that is all the room that we have. So to anyone outside of this extreme audio sport world, irony is perhaps a generous word to describe the phenomenon. The reporter goes on to articulate, everybody wants to be the king of a hill, he concluded, but the number of aspiring kings always dwarfs the number of available hills. So in this country, we build more hills. Meaning, you can go looking for something to be the king, to be a king of a hill. You'll find something, some type of competition. I mean, throughout the world, they have things called camel racing and tuna tossing and greasy pole climbing, which you should YouTube sometime. Everybody wants to be the king of a hill. In this passage, some men come to John the Baptist and they question him. Why is Jesus baptizing when that's your role? to baptize. Shouldn't you go to him and address him? Shouldn't you speak up? You're, you're the king of this baptism. But you see, John the Baptist submitted to the true king of the hill, and it was his joy to do so. And that's what we're looking at today in John chapter 3, 22 through 36. And with this, we're looking at a Christ-centered jealousy. So if you will, please turn in your Bibles. John chapter 3, starting in verse 22. If you do not have a Bible, if you'll look in front of you in the pew Bible there, if you'll grab that Bible, 
and you'll turn with us to page 888. There you will be in John chapter 3, starting in verse 22. And in all seriousness, if you need a Bible, please take that. Please take it as a gift. Take it home with you. Um, We'd love to read the Bible with you. We want you to have a true understanding of God's Word. Please take that as a gift. But turn with me. And and I believe this is important. Listen, now, I'm not going to sit. I'm not up here judging you, okay, whether you have a Bible in your hand or not. But I think it's precious that we are in a building where everyone has the opportunity to hold a Bible. In places like Africa, where I spoke to a pastor this past week, his name's Pastor Jabo. He's from Zimbabwe. He says, we need more Bibles. He says, families are dividing up the Bible so that they can read different sections. And they'll read a section and then they'll trade it out to have another section of the Bible. I said, wow, we, we live here in America where we all have a Bible. And yet you wouldn't know it many times because we hardly ever pick it up. He said, there you go with the guilt trip. Not a guilt trip, reality check, reality check. So take a Bible, hold it in your hands right now, okay? John chapter 3, let us embrace the Word. Let's be grateful that of all things we could be doing this morning, we have the privilege to come to God's Word. Amen? Amen. And you woke up extra early for it. Verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and remained there with them and was baptizing John also was baptizing at Anon, near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now, discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, He who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So one of the first things I want to point out, and I think we'll be comforted in knowing this, is that Jesus moved from the urban setting to a rural setting of Judea. So that's like Jesus going from Atlanta to Valdosta. He cares for the rural areas. He's going to all different types of people. But both men were baptizing. Both men, John the Baptist and Jesus. Now, we may be confused here because we say, I didn't think Jesus baptized. And indeed, we see confirmation of this in John 4, verse 2. Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. So Jesus has the authority. He passes it on to his disciples to baptize. And John the Baptist continues to baptize. So although the crowd sizes were thinning, John the Baptist continued to baptize, pointing people to Christ. Isn't that a great picture? It had not become less exciting for him, but more exciting since Jesus arrived on the scene. Less people crowded around him, but more excitement 
in John's heart. It reminds me of an AT&T commercial that I saw recently of a tattoo artist. He has a young man come in and questions his method of how to put on a tattoo. The young man says, shouldn't you draw it out first? And the tattoo artist looks at him and says, stay in your lane, bro. And when I think about John the Baptist, it's what he's doing. He's staying in his lane, bro. He's not trying to swerve over into Jesus' lane. He's staying in his own lane. And that's helpful for all of us. We have a lane. We have a calling in our lives in which God has placed before us. He has specific things he wants us to do. Maybe these who stood before you today who were going to Lebanon, you look at them and maybe there was a little bit of jealousy in your heart. Not Christ-centered jealousy, but man-centered jealousy that says, oh, I should be doing that. I should be going. Yeah, there should be a desire, but is it a desire for Christ to be known? Or is it that you see them and you go, oh man, they're doing something and and maybe I should be doing something with my life. What is God calling you to do? And are you staying in your lane or are you trying to swerve over into someone else's lane? These men come to John the Baptist and they ask him this question. What they're doing is they're trying to get him to swerve over into a different lane. But John the Baptist says, no, this is my lane, bro. I'm, I'm in the lane that God has called me to. I love what Galatians 6 and 9 says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You see, there are different seasons that we'll go through. And when you go through a hard season, when you go through a dry season, when less people are coming around you than before, you continue forward. You say, I'm going to push through this. I'm not going to give up. There are great things in store. Our notoriety is not the remedy of successful ministry. We want people walking away talking about Jesus. So for our teachers in the room who teach faithfully every week in your classes, people who sit under your teaching, you may walk away on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night after teaching, and you may ask yourself this question, am I really making a difference? It's been a little while since someone has come and given me a little pat on the back and said, good job, good lesson. Thank you for studying this week. Thank you for taking the time to pour into the scriptures and then pour it out unto us today. It's not for your notoriety. What you want them doing is walking away talking about Jesus. My desire for you today is that you would walk away from here talking about Jesus. And we see this in the life of of John the Baptist. A deceitful craft of Satan's is to generate division among the people by prompting jealousy. Jealousy among the church. Jealousy among God's people. You see, man-centered jealousy divides the church, but a Christ-centered jealousy unites the church. We need a Christ-centered jealousy in the local church. You say, can we really get off track in the local church? Easily, all the time. We gather here together in the name of Jesus, but yet there are days that we have to be very intentional to making sure that we get to God's Word and that we have conversation around the Bible Even in one-on-one discipleship, as I've said before, you have to be very intentional to get to the Bible when you meet together. 
Why is it so tough? Because it's not your nature to gravitate towards Jesus. It is your nature, your heart, an idol-making factory that wants to be man-centered. You want to have man-centered conversation, woman-centered conversation at the table. And some of those things are good, but it needs to be funneled through Christ-centeredness. And so the church needs to come together around Christ Jesus. We need a jealousy for him, and he will unite us together. Verse 27, John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You see, John the Baptist cuts right through the loaded questions and presents a glorious truth. I don't have anything apart from Christ. I don't have anything apart from God. If I go against Jesus, then everything I've done is in vain. It makes no sense if I go against Christ. If it's not all for Christ, if it's not all for God's glory, then I'm not baptizing, and there's no purpose for me even being here on this earth. Cuts right through it. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Every one of us in the room have received life on this earth. And it's our hope and prayer that everyone in this room would receive eternal life through Christ Jesus. But everything you have, you receive. But yet, why would we go forth and boast as if we did not receive it, as if somehow we accomplished it in and of ourselves? You see, in order to have a Christ-centered jealousy, it means that we have a high view of God. When we're lacking in this high view of God, we begin to boast of ourselves. We need something to talk about. We need some gratification because it's lacking. We're not receiving it by glorifying God, so we want to glorify others or glorify ourselves. This didn't work for John the Baptist. He's not interested in this type of man-centered glorification. So John responds in the freedom found in Christ. There's freedom in Christ. There's freedom in the statement of saying, no, 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 you don't get it. I'm not here to go against him. He's, he's before me. He's the one before me. He's why I'm here. And I hope that's true in our hearts and lives today. Verse 28, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. You say, wait, I thought you just said Jesus was before him. Well, we'll go back. John 1.15, this is John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Christ is eternal. John the Baptist is not eternal. John the Baptist came a few months before Jesus on this earth. Why? To proclaim and to prepare the way of the king. He says, Yes, I was before him in the birth order here on this earth, but Christ has always been before me. And so from here we see this truth. John found his fullness of joy in the master's voice. You want a you Christ-centered jealousy, you will receive a fullness of joy. See, I believe the struggle we have is if we have a Christ-centered jealousy, it's going to rob us of some other good things. Listen, leave those things behind, pursue Christ. What Christ has is much better. And John understood this, verse 29. 
The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. I love this. This is what A.W. Pink has to say in response to this verse. How precious is this this joy of heart is the fruit of being occupied with Christ. It is standing and hearing His voice which delights the soul. When you hear the Word of God, does it delight your soul? Are you ready for it? Are you existing for it? This was John the Baptist. He says, you know, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. I'm like the best man. This is what the best man does right here. William Barclay breaks it down this way. The friend of the bridegroom had a unique place at a Jewish wedding. He acted as the liaison between the bride and the bridegroom. He arranged the wedding. He took out the invitations. He presided at the wedding feast. He brought the bride and the bridegroom together. You say, well, today's time, all the uh, best man has to do is come stand up on stage. That's pretty much all he's required to do. But he had one special duty. It was his duty to guard the bridal chamber and to let no one false or no false lover come in. He would only open the door when in the dark he heard the bridegroom's voice and recognized it. When he heard the bridegroom's voice, he was glad, and he let him in. And he went away rejoicing, for his task was complete. What a cool picture. You see, John the Baptist was not trying to open the door to go into the bridal chamber, which was not his to go into. No, he was standing outside, and he was rejoicing when he heard the groom coming forth. Jesus coming forth. He delights in hearing the voice of Christ. He says, hey, I'm, I'm just the best man. I'm not the groom. And so with this, what does it look like among the local church today for us to have this type of delight, for us to have this type of Christ-centered jealousy? Let me give you three things. Number one, we have godly appreciation. We must have a godly appreciation. A godly appreciation for what? Well, let's look at John the Baptist. John the Baptist embraced the wilderness along with his whole 30 locust and honey diet. He embraced it. This is where God has called me. I have an appreciation for God. Wherever you place me, this is where I would be. There's no place he would rather be on earth than preparing the way for Christ. And so... He trusted in the promises of God. He trusted in the Word. He had an appreciation for the Word of God. Remember the attitude of the Israelites when they were in the wilderness? It's the same wilderness. Same wilderness that they were wandering in and complaining in and bickering in all the time. That which we've been studying at the 9 o'clock hour. Yeah, John the Baptist in the same wilderness. But instead, as he's in the wilderness, he has a great godly appreciation. He knows there's a purpose for this dry, desert season of life. There's a purpose for being there. 
Where has God placed you? And are you responding with a godly appreciation? Or are you kind of on hold when it comes to this appreciation? You're, you're waiting for God to give you something better before you show thanks. Or are you actually enjoying where you are today? Are you enjoying where you are today? Are you enjoying where God has placed you? Or would you say, Brian, I'm actually miserable right now. Or, you know what, I'm depressed right now, Brian. I'm really struggling where God has placed me. I want to encourage you to have a Christ-centered jealousy that although you may be going through a difficult time right now, or you may be bored out of your mind right now, that you would place your sights on Christ and be jealous for His name, knowing that what Christ brings to you is a fullness of joy and excitement that just bubbles over an appreciation for where God has you in the present moment. And with this attitude, we can be on mission right here, right here, right now. As you walk out of these doors, you can be on mission for God. Who are the people that God puts you around? They need to hear about Jesus. How beautiful it is when God brings us in the path of someone who doesn't know Christ and we recognize that it's in that moment that we can be on mission and that we can show a godly appreciation and we can speak the name of Jesus. This was like John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness, but he made the most of it. He didn't complain of his circumstances and go, wow, it would be nice to live in a big city, but God's placed me here. No, he had joy in the place where God had put him. Number two, God-honoring participation. So he had a godly appreciation and then a God-honoring participation. So because he had a, an appreciation, he had a participation. John the Baptist embraced his role in the wedding party with great delight. And you know what? He worked hard. He did not show up as a bum groomsman and drink up all the wine. No, he had a great purpose for preparing the way of the king. He continued his role all the way unto death. So hear this, what we appreciate is where we participate. The things you appreciate, that's, that's where your participation is going to be. With your time, with your talents, with your money, where you show appreciation, that's where your participation will be. And for John the Baptist, he appreciated Christ. He appreciated God, and he was participating in that which was holy, honoring, glorifying to God. So as the bride of Christ, that's our role. Men, don't you love that, that you're referred to as a bride? You're a beautiful bride, but yet a messy bride. We're not at the glorified state yet. We're not a completely faithful bride unto Christ, but he is faithful to us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. But church, we are the bride. And so as the bride, what are we called to? We are called to radiate the light of Christ. That's how we participate. And then number three, a Christ-magnifying motivation. John the Baptist did not fret or stop baptizing when Christ arrived. Instead, it motivated him to keep up the ministry as he pointed people to Christ. As he would say, behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God. Every time he saw Jesus, it was, behold, the Lamb of God. He was in awe 
The only thing that mattered was the lamb. Christ magnifying motivation. I know that there are certain settings that it may seem awkward to speak the name of Jesus. And it's in those settings that we need to ask the honest question, why is it so awkward for me to speak the name of Jesus right now? Maybe for you school teachers, you can't openly speak the name of Jesus, but you need to be praying for the opportunities in which you do have the freedom underneath the authority in which you serve to speak the name of Jesus. Doesn't mean we just give up altogether. Doesn't mean that you're not a light of Jesus Christ. There are many ways in which you can radiate the light of Jesus Christ into the school systems. It may be at work. Your boss has said, I don't want to hear any religious talk. But yet you pray for the opportunities to minister to your boss, to minister to people on this side. Doesn't mean we just give up altogether. We get it. I understand that you just don't walk into a place and, and can freely talk about Christ if you're serving in the military. Some of you men have shared this. This has been a great struggle. Some of you ladies have shared this, that out on base, it's, it's hard. You have to be very careful with the things that you say. You may get reported for saying something wrong, for offending someone, but yet pray because you still can have the opportunities to share the gospel. It could be when you're deployed. It could be God taking you overseas in the midst of a conflict in which hearts are struggling and are torn and are broken and conflicted. And there, there, you're able to share the gospel and someone repents to follow Christ. Always being on mission, always having a Christ magnifying motivation. But if it is impossible for Christ to be our motivation in any area of life, then we need to avoid it. Do you agree? If it is impossible, impossible for Christ to be our motivation in any area of life, then we need to avoid it. There are certain places that we need to stay away from, certain places that we do not need to enter into because there is no possible way in which it can be motivated by Christ Jesus. You see, our jealousy for ourselves is like that booming car next to us. The only people who think that's cool are the people who are in that booming car. I don't know what it is about being in a vehicle that the attitude immediately changes once you hop in that vehicle. The faster you go, the cooler you feel, or the louder you listen to your music, the big and bad you feel. But the only people who think that are the people who are actually in that car. And for the one who's jealous, the only ones who think that jealousy is cool is the person who's jealous. You ever been around a jealous person? They get mad at every little thing you do. They question every little thing. So where were you? Oh, is that where you really were? Well, you didn't tell me that's where you were going. Well, why didn't you invite me along? Why couldn't I be a part of this? I, it's never fun to be around a jealous person. It's not fun to listen to somebody talk about how great they are. Is that ever fun for anybody? Oh, tell me more about you. No. It's not fun to hear how great you are. It's not fun to hear how great I am. It took a while to learn that. Still trying to learn that at times, and you go, what, 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 am, I, what am I desiring here? The only ones who think that's cool are the ones who are jealous for their own name. John the Baptist, he's not jealous for his own name. 
How can you be sure of this, Brian? How can we be sure of this today? Because of verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Man, that's good. We should preach this to ourselves every morning, every noonday, every afternoon, every evening before we go to bed. This should be the message that we preach to ourselves. For here is life. He must increase, but I must decrease. For us, this means to be less occupied with ourselves and more occupied with Christ daily. Man, William Carey was a great missionary to India. Incredible missionary. Translated the Bible into hundreds of languages. Set up schools for people to follow Christ. I mean, it was so hard in his life. He lost his two-year-old daughter to a sickness, lost uh, one of his boys to a sickness while over in India. His wife went mad, not just like mad, angry at him, but crazy mad, off the deep end. And yet he continued to pursue missions. He had a rough, challenging life. I mean, it's not a glorified view of missions when you read his biography. It's not like he went and his family was united together and they all got along with each other and everybody was healthy and prosperous. No. In fact, it was the reverse. But yet throughout his time, it's known that 700 people followed Christ. And because of him, he heard somebody preach one day that why do we need to go to the masses. Why do we need to go to the heathen? God, if God wants to save the heathen, he'll save the heathen. And William Carey heard this and he says, no, we must go. We must go and share Christ with them. So William Carey went. And I'm so grateful for his testimony because we look back on men like him who had such a jealousy for Christ Jesus that it inspires us too to be on mission and here's what William Carey said as he lay dying. He turned to a friend and said, when I am gone, don't talk about William Carey. Talk about William Carey's Savior. I desire that Christ alone might be magnified. How often have you thought about, well, when I die, I wonder if people will say good things about me. Will they cry at my funeral? Or will they just come and then get over it? And go about life. Let me, let me tell you, it's hard dealing with death because people do get back to their normal routines. They do continue forward. But I can tell you, I love this testimony. And I hope for everyone in here who loves Jesus that you would desire the same. That when we are no more, people will walk away magnifying the Savior because of the life that we lived for God. You see, this is not accomplished by seeking to be humble. You say, you know what? I just need to be humble. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave here today, and I'm going to work on being humble. Goal number one this week, be humble. That's not your goal. Your goal is not to be humble. But we do want to be humble. So how do we be humble? By seeking Christ, who will in return humble us. If we're living Christ-centered lives, if we're occupied with Christ daily, we will be 
humble. And here we look to John the Baptist. Why, I mean, why does John, the writer, mention John the Baptist again? Okay, we get it. He baptized people. That's good. Now, Jesus is here doing his ministry. Why is John the Baptist being brought back up? I, I think for this purpose, so that we as followers of Christ can appreciate his appreciation for God and his humility, his humbleness. First Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's our desire, that we be transformed from one glory, one degree of glory to another. Humility. Christ-centeredness occupied by Christ daily. John the writer finishes up what is chapter 3 for us with the following verses, 31 through 36. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He comes from heaven, or he who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life." but the wrath of God remains on him. So here are a few things that we see in these closing verses of John chapter 3. One, we see that Christ is above, which means he is eternal, and that John the Baptist is from below, and all of us are from below. That means we are of the dust. And hear this, the more dust stirs, the greater the mess. The more that dust stirs, the greater the mess. Meaning the more we try to work in our own efforts, the greater the mess. The more we try to function off of our man-centered jealousy, the more mess. The more trouble, more destruction, more confusion. So are you living by that which is heavenly, Christ, eternal, or that which is earthly, you of the dust? That's the question today as we seek to have Christ-centered jealousy. Maybe you would write that question down and you would ask yourself that question every day. At the end of the day, maybe an evaluation for your life. Would you do that? Would you just pin that down? Yes, no, maybe. <laughs> write it down. Are you living by that which is heavenly or that which is earthly? What have I done today? Whoever receives Christ's testimony we respond with an amen to God, as we see in verse 33, saying that God is true. It means that we have set our seal to this testimony. We have sealed it with the signet ring. We have said, yes, I seal it. It is indeed true. Once it is sealed, I do not turn back from it. So if we're to have a Christ-centered jealousy, we're only going in one direction, and that's always the direction of Christ Jesus. Verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. All things into his hand. What is he given into his hand? Eternal life. 
salvation. And so what's the response? Those who believe in the Son of God receive eternal life. It comes down to this today. You say, I don't know what type of jealousy is in me. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of confused, Brian. I'm not sure. Let me ask you this. Have you received eternal life in Jesus Christ? Do you love Christ? Do you trust that He came on this earth and that He lived with no sin? Do you trust that because He had no sin, He was the only one who could go to the cross and take on your sin? That He paid for your sin at the cross and He died a real death, having absorbed the wrath of God on your behalf and that He went to the grave, but He did not stay dead. He rose from the grave and He has power over death, victory over sin and that he is risen, he is alive forevermore, and do you trust that he will come back for you? Do you believe these things? If you're believing this for the first time today, if you're hearing this and you're going, that's what I need, salvation in Jesus, yes, I need to be saved, then today, where you are, right now, even where you are, would you just call upon the Lord and say, save me. These things I believe, I confess that this is true. Save me, Lord Jesus. Would you be saved today so that you may have eternal life? These things are in the hands of Christ. You can trust that your life is in the hands of Christ. But those who reject the Son of Man or the Son of God remain in condemnation. As we saw last week, it's not about all the things that you've done, whether you'll be condemned or not. You're already condemned apart from Christ. You're in condemnation right now. That's why you have this longing. I believe that every lost person, if they're being honest, would say there is a longing, there is a confusion within their soul. They're trying to find something to fix it. I believe every, that's the case with every lost person. They have this desire. They don't know what it is, but they want it. Many of you have heard me tell this story, but when I was in college, I had an opportunity to tell a testimony. Before my college class, I had five minutes to share Jesus with them. It's a wonderful opportunity. There was a big guy that sat over here to my left. He had a shaved head and a rugged beard. He's the biggest guy in the classroom and he always was looking to get into fights with people, not fistfights, but you know, verbal disagreements over the Bible. And I thought for sure he's gonna have something to say once I mention the name of Jesus, I know it. And when I finished, I was trembling. You ever had that moment when you, when you share Christ with somebody and you're trembling and you're going, wow, that was amazing. And he was the first one to raise his hand. I said, oh, great. Here we go. What's he going to say? And he pointed at me. Just like, just like this. He pointed at me. He said, you. You. I don't know what it is you have, but whatever it is you have, you have it. I said, amen, brother. I don't know what it is you have, but whatever it is you have, you have it. I hope that that would be the testimony of my life with Christ Jesus as it is the testimony of your life for Christ Jesus. That one day when we're gone from this earth, people will say, hey, I'll tell you one thing he had. He had Christ Jesus. Go forth today in the name of Jesus and live a Christ-centered life. Let us pray. Father, thank you for our time together.
Thank you for your love. I can't imagine how much you love us just based on how much I love being here and these people, God. Love this group of people. Thank you so much that you have called us to be on mission together, to be jealous for Christ Jesus. Father, wherever we struggle with this this week, wherever that jealousy gets pushed aside, will you reveal it to us quickly? We're going to need your word this week, Father, so I want to go ahead and pray over the church here today that we would have a hunger for God's word this week. We're also going to need to be close to you in prayer. So, Father, it's been a while since we've taken time to kneel or to sit in quietness and to pray to you. Lord, would you so stir our hearts to do so? We, we need to be close to you, Lord. Not that we need to receive any further blessing from you to be more blessed. Uh, we are most blessed in Christ Jesus. That we may go forth in the fullness of Christ this week so that other people will hear the name of Christ and that they too can live in the fullness of Christ. But Father, more than any of that, more than any of that, so that we can live a life that's honoring to you, that our greatest joy would be knowing you this week and being happy in you this week and knowing more about you this week, learning more about you, sharing you with others. Father, thank you for our time. May this be a time where we can examine our hearts, that we may honor you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.